Father, we thank you that you have given Pastor Mike a word for tonight, Lord, and, and we trust that this is your word, Lord, and that it is you speaking through him, that your light is shining through him, Father. Pray for wisdom as he talks, Lord. We also pray for opening of our hearts, our minds, and our ears as he does. Speak to us, Father. Let us grow in our, in our wisdom and our, our love for you. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everyone. Yeah. Wow, that was subdued. Is Jelly here? <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Hey, a few minutes ago, um, we were all singing at the top of our guts, at least I was, with everything in me. Shine your light and let the whole world see. I did change the key. Um, put in dude key. Right? Shine your light and let the whole world see. Raise your hand if you were singing that like loud, like you were there. Right? So raise your hand again if you want to see that. What will it look like if God, think of it, you know, sometimes we sing this stuff because the lick is cool or because, oh man, I first heard this song when I was 10. That's such a cool song. We're like, yeah, but think about it for a minute. What would it look like if God, the living God who said, let there be light, shined his light so that the whole world could see it? Yeah. Hey, get your shades out, right? That's going to be a little painful, right? What would it look like? Or how would, how would that work? God, shine your light. So tonight we're going to have a look scripturally and what it looks like. And it might surprise you because we're thinking, God, shine your light, miracles. That's like, wouldn't it be like when the angels showed up on the, on the hillside and the shepherds like fell down because it was scary and there was all of a sudden all this light, even though it was 11 o'clock at night or something? Isn't that what it's like? And um, actually, no. Right? So let's have a look in Isaiah. If I, did I say that properly, South African? Isaiah. Come with me to Isaiah. Right? Or if you're Texan, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 60. Did you like that? <laughs> Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. I'm reading in the NIV 2011. Um, yeah. And it says this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Yeah, it's quiet in here, right? How many of y'all grew up in a charismatic church somewhere singing, rise, shine, for the light has come. Someone's singing it with me. Right? The glory of the Lord is risen. I won't sing the whole song. But I used to love that song. Right? But it's one of those things, again, think about what you're singing. What did God say? The glory of the Lord rises on you. In the Old Testament, when the glory of the Lord showed up, people would be afraid that they were going to die. Like, y'all, man, Mike, you got serious. Whoa! Right? People would be afraid that they were, that they were going to die. And even if, even if it was just an angel, just an angel showed up. It wasn't even God himself. Just an angel. Right? An angel shows up and face plant. Like, have mercy on me, God. You know, total fear 
of the of the of the power and the the majesty and the glory that, it, that would shine. That wow! I just run English just doesn't go, do good enough. Is Afrikaans better or Kaza? Is it are there better or do, do the, these other languages also fall short? Right? It's not good enough. Right? You corrected me. I'm trying. Hey, All right? So um, it just yeah. There's there's not good enough words. Right? And yet God is saying, the glory of the Lord rises upon you. And not only are you going to survive this thing, but you're going to shine. So what does it look like when God shines his light for the whole world to see? What does it look like? There was an American president, um, and of course he didn't do a very good job, <laughs> but, um, but in one of his speeches, right, I promise not to get political. In one of his speeches, he gave this rousing, dude could give a speech, hey? He gave this rousing speech, and, and he referenced this thing, a thousand points of light. And I don't even remember what his, what his point was, because, you know, he didn't accomplish anything <laughs> that he wanted to accomplish. This was long ago, by the way. Um, but he hid this whole thing about a thousand points of light. And I thought, you know what, in the name of nationalism or patriotism or whatever silly ism, um, thousand points of light, that's going to go nowhere. But when I think of Isaiah chapter 60, and everywhere there is a child of the living God on the face of the earth, a billion and a half points of light. The glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. How's he going to accomplish that? Through you and me. The glory of the Lord rises on you. And I hope tonight that the Holy Spirit will make you hungry to shine. Yeah, it's just this old thing, arise, shine, you know. Um, but it's so, it's still so true, but let's, let's dig into it a little bit and look at the setting because the setting, um, the contrast is really hectic, right? The next chapter is Isaiah 61 because you know, 61 comes after 60, right? So, and that's one of my favorite chapters in all the scripture. And it's another contrast in that contrast. It's beauty in the middle of rubble. And, you know, I've preached on that thing like in like several countries because I love that. I love that chapter. It's beauty in the middle of ashes and, and God makes people beautiful. And there's this contrast of destruction and rubble, but something beautiful being done in the hearts of the people. And first they become beautiful and then they enforce the beauty of God all around them. But this contrast in Isaiah 60 is light in the middle of darkness. So the setting here is darkness. It says, see, darkness covers the earth in verse 2. Thick darkness over the peoples. Darkness is covering the earth. And what is this darkness? What is it? Is it, is it lack of education? Is it, is, it, um, is it political oppression? What is it? And if you look in the context and read, I spent a lot of time in chapters 56 through 61. And just, yeah, it's so deep. There's so much going on there. Um, there's... By the way, in these chapters, Isaiah is prophesying in his lifetime for stuff that's going to happen in his lifetime. And then he prophesies a little bit about stuff that's going to happen between 70 and 100 years after his lifetime. And there's even a bit of apocalyptic stuff in there about stuff that's still yet to come. And, and it's just Holy Spirit can do that. He can write, and you, you know, you think you're clever when you use a double entendre and Holy Spirit says, watch this. I'm going to write about four things at one time. Because he's amazing. Um, 
And I want us tonight, since we don't have four hours, to just look at the application for us right here in Pretoria today. Is that okay? Right? So the setting, if you look through those chapters, why is darkness covering the earth? And darkness is covering the earth because the people of God sinned. That's why. And I'll tell you, when you can't tell the difference between a child of God and anybody else, it's dark. When you can't find the Christians with their behavior or with the, or with the look on their face or the peace in their heart, when there's no difference and you can't tell until you go to a church, but when outside of the church you can't tell who the believers are, it's dark. Darkness covers the earth, thick darkness over the people. And why was it dark? Because God's people sinned. And this, and this prophecy, the whole thing, none of it is written to people who are outside of the family of God. It is written to God's children called by his name. And he calls them out for their sin, right? Surrounded by darkness. And you know what, when we look in the New Testament, Ephesians 5, 8, Paul's writing to believers and he says, you were once darkness, but now you're children of light, right? So it's, it would be a shame if now that we're free from darkness, if we still look dark and smell dark and sound dark and you can't tell the difference. This morning, Pastor Louie had a mirror and he said, look at this mirror, it reflects, reflects light. And um, he tried on purpose to shine it into people's faces, which I thought was naughty and funny, right? <laughs> Just to get the point across. And, and then he took a marker, um, a koki, sorry. I'm still learning to speak English. And, um, and he covered as much of that thing as he could. Um, and then it didn't reflect as much light anymore. And, that, and he said, this is what our sin does. It covers up the surface that allows us to reflect the light of God. And, you can, and so I'll say it again, when you can't tell the difference between God's children and anyone else, then it's dark. And the pastor this morning pointed out the three charges against Israel that, that Isaiah and most of the prophets pointed out. I'll just tell you, they were social injustice. And you're like, is that a political buzzword? No, it's a sin. Right? It's a, it's a sin. Instead of taking care of the orphans and the widows and the foreigners and the poor, they were exploiting them to build their own wealth and their own comfort. Right? That's not a political buzzword. That's a sin. And I'm going to tell you, read Isaiah and read Habakkuk, and God's not happy. It's not on. Right? He's really not cool with that. And then later in Isaiah 61, he says, I, the Lord, love justice. So that was one. The other one was, another one is idolatry. And this is where you put anything in God's place. And y'all, it's not just bowing before a golden calf. How many of y'all were tempted to bow before a golden calf this morning? You're like, yo, there's this golden calf. Oh, I just want to, ooh, anybody? Right? It's putting anything in God's place. And not just in a place of worship. I mean, nobody today says, hey, man, let's make a worship song about, about rock music and let's worship rock music or something, right? You know, it's, it's not that. But when you put your trust in your bank account instead of your provider in heaven, that's idolatry, right? When you look to your significant other for your happiness instead of to the God who created you so he could fulfill every one of your needs, that's idolatry. 
And that human's going to let you down. You know why? Because you're asking that human to do something that's God's job. They're not going to make it. It's idolatry. Stop worshiping one another and start serving one another. Worship God. Amen? So idolatry was one. And the last one was religious ritualism. And this, is, this one really disgusted God. Right. And if you if you're not careful when you read some of the prophets and you don't know the context, you can think you start to think wrong things. There's one point when he said, your little songs and ditties disgust me. I just want to throw up. Right. It's, it's there, you know, and you're like, sure, I should never sing your worship song again. That's not what God means. What God is saying is you're out there exploiting the poor and the foreigner and worshiping everything except me. And you think you can cover it up every Saturday night by coming to a little service and doing a little and singing a little song and having a little dance and doing festivals a couple of times a year. God says, I want to throw up. So religious ritualism was another thing he called Israel out on. Those were the things. And I want to say today in our context, maybe the Holy Spirit wants to confront something different for you and me. Right? Maybe it's not religious ritualism. Maybe I'm not worshiping this or, or, or pointing out an idolatry or whatever. But what is it that maybe the Holy Spirit would say, I want you to have a look at this. And I want you to turn away from that and back to me. All right. And I'm talking to a bunch of folks who are in church. I know you love God because otherwise we'd be watching the man you match. Right. All right. So, right. We'd be, you know, there's surely some lacquer steak places open. There's lots of things we could do other than listen to a lecture. Right. But that's not why we're here. That's not we're here because we love God. But see, it was God's people who had sinned. And it's God's people that were the cause of this thick darkness. So what is the Holy Spirit? And it's constantly, repentance is not a one-time event. There's this constant journey of repentance as we see more and learn more things. And the Holy Spirit calls us deeper still. And you call me deeper still, deeper still. I saw this picture while we were singing that song of scuba diving. I had some friends Friday night telling me all about scuba diving. And don't you want to go? No. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you can see a shark right there. I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm, I like the swimming pool, you know. Um, but talking all about that, there's a belt. I'm talking over my head already, but there's a belt, right? And, you, and it's like a buoyancy regulator. There's air in that thing, right? Thank you. You're helping me, right? The more air you release, the deeper you can go, right? If you put air back in it, Right. It just helps you maintain. And in that belt is that air that you that you it's not for breathing. It's here. Right. And the more air you have, the less deep you're able to go. And the cares of this world or the sin we're holding on to is the air in your buoyancy belt. You let those things go. Release that thing to the Lord and you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And the longer you hold on to that stuff, the longer you'll hear him calling you deeper, but you won't go. Let it go. Right? Release that air. Release that sin. Release those cares. Release those worries. Release those disappointments. Release those disillusionments. Let that thing out of that buoyancy belt and answer the Lord's call deeper, deeper, deeper. 
right? So the setting, there's a darkness covering the earth. And this morning, Pastor Louis did such a great job. I want to tell you, though, he did the Old Testament in five minutes. He like did a summary. It was beautiful. Like seriously, go for the YouTube, check it out. It was so good. If I try to do that, it's not going to go well. We're going to be here like at nine o'clock. We're like have a coffee break and come back, you know, so not going to do it. But in that summary, he introduced the Lord's character and the Lord's covenant. And there's this whole journey of through the Old Testament. And it's the story of God's pursuit of his children throughout history. Starting with when Adam and Eve broke the covenant, he started with one man through whom all nations would be blessed. Y'all remember Abraham? And then one nation through whom all nations would be blessed. And that was Israel. And then the blessing for all nations, Christ. Right? So I did it in 30 seconds. <laughs> and in his, in his summary, um, Pastor Louis gave these five characteristics of God as he pointed out the thing. And he said, first thing, God is holy, right? God is holy. And the second thing he pointed out, and this is so good, God is slow to anger. Thank God. Because y'all, I'd have been dead so many times over, you know, Mike Pancake. Just, this is where, you know, he's slow to anger. And then the next thing um, he points out from the story as he went through the story is God is willing to judge and he's willing to punish if we require it. But he pointed out the motive. The motive for God bringing judgment and punishment was to, was to redirect his us back to him. Right? He made this great statement. Too many people today, there's this thing, whatever. Oh, look what they're doing. Well, just whatever. God's attitude is never whatever. His attitude is whatever it takes to win my children back to me. Right? So the punishment, the discipline of God is a tool to draw our hearts back to the Lord. The fourth thing he pointed out is that God is quick to forgive. See, this is a beautiful thing about our father. He takes him a long time to be angry, but he takes him a nanosecond to forgive. He's quick to forgive. And the last thing, the fifth thing he pointed out is that God restores. And he said, he pointed over and over, Isaiah chapters 40 through 66 are all about the restoration that God wants to do. Especially chapter 60 and 61. Just beautiful, beautiful stuff. So when we're looking at Isaiah 60 and 61, we're talking about, Isaiah's prophesying about a people who will be in Jerusalem about 70 to 100 years or so after he's long gone. And he's prophesying about this group of people and they're sitting in a torn down city with torn down walls and a destroyed temple. They're basically sitting in the dust and the rubble of their own sin and the generation before them and the generation before them and the generation before them. They're just wallowing in all of that. 70 year old pile of rubble. And he's prophesying to these people in chapters about these people. They're not born yet in chapter 60 and 61 right? And that is the setting. That's enough of the setting, right? That's the intro. I'm kidding. <laughs> We're about halfway done. So now let's look at the turning point. And I just, Sam, if you can put that goofy arrow up, I have PowerPoint. I normally don't use PowerPoint, but look, isn't that cool? Wow. I saw a Christian t-shirt. Normally Christian t-shirts are so goofy. I don't wear them, you know, and, um, and there was one and also wouldn't wear it, but it, you know, it was clever. It said, God allows U-turns. U-turn to Jesus. 
Uh, right? So we want to talk about this word repentance, which is a U-turn. Right? I'm going this way, and I realize, ooh, this isn't great. I should go this way. <laughs> you know? And you turn around. The first thing you turn is your mind. I don't, I, don't, you, I don't know if they have this saying in South Africa, but in Texas, they have this saying. And when you hear your mama say this, man, you know, the hiding is on its way, right? Because it's still legal, by the way, in Texas, in your own home or not in your own home, it's still legal, right? So, um, but mama would say something like, if you think you've been to talk like that to me, you've got another thing coming, <laughs> right? You got another think coming. And I'm like, actually, it's thought. You've got another thought coming. But that's exactly what repentance is in the Latin. It means to think again. You know, I was going this way. Actually, I've got another think coming. I think I'm going to go this way. Right? I'm going to turn around. The first thing we change is our mind. And as soon as you change your mind, the behavior and everything else follows. And here's the, good, here's the really great news. When you repent, the only thing you've changed is your mind. You ask the Lord to forgive you, and the Lord rushes in with forgiveness and with the power to now change everything else, and he does it. So Isaiah 60, we love it. We sing the song. We, we quote it all. How many of you have heard many times before I read it tonight? Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Heard it a lot, right? We've heard that so much. Do you know that that's not the beginning of God's statement? When he's talking, he doesn't start talking in, in verse 1 of chapter 60. He starts talking in verse 20 of chapter 59. And this is what he says. The Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them. With who? With those who repent. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words I put in your mouth will always be on your lips, the lips of your children and the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever. Arise, shine, for your light has come. So who did he say arise, shine to? He said that to people who repented. He said it to people who repented. And he rushed in. So, so the people said, God, I was wrong and I'm sorry and I don't want to do that again. I don't want to go this way. Where are you, God? Where are you? Is that where you are? I'm going this way. I want to go towards you. And God said, God doesn't say, oh, well, I guess it's all right. Shame, whatever. Come on. He doesn't do that. As soon as they repent, they turn and God says, yes, here's my Holy Spirit. Here's my word. It's going to be with you and all the generations after you. Arise, shine, light, glory, nations coming to your light. Every, all of the goods, all of it, boom. All you did was turn around because your daddy is quick to forgive. He's quick to forgive. John the Baptist and Jesus preached the same message, by the way. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So how do we get into the kingdom of heavens? We repent, right? And this repentance is more than saying sorry. It's turning our faces towards the king and his kingdom. The Israelites needed to repent for idolatry, exploiting the poor, the widows, and the foreigners, trying to cover their own godless lifestyles with religious rituals. But what about you and me today in Pretoria? 
in Tswane. What do, what do I need to repent? What is the Holy Spirit touching in my heart? What is he shining a gentle torchlight on? This doesn't represent me. This thing right here, it's blotting out some of the light. Repent. Let me wash you with my blood and make you clean. What is it? Or maybe it's a smaller but just a significant course correction. Maybe it's not just um, some sin that the Holy Spirit's touching. Maybe it's something like what he said to one of the churches in Revelation chapter 2. He said, man, I see your good works. You're working so hard. But your face is all towards the work. And you have forgotten your first love. Maybe the course correction is, God, I'm doing all the work for you. But I've forgotten to be with you. And maybe the course correction is running back to your first love. What is the turn that God is asking each one of us tonight? to do because when you turn the light comes on right but I just want to give an example um, yeah I want to give just an example of repentance because we think repentance is um, you, you wait till you get to church and you come charging to the altar and you cry and you snot all over the carpet and then God touches you and he does an amazing thing and the pastor comes and lays hands on you. and It, it can look like that, make no mistake. I've had some of those, right? Um, but here's another example. Um, and some of you might have heard me tell this story in a worship academy setting or something. Uh, I had a job in the States when I was a when I was on staff at a church, I was bivocational. Isn't that a fancy word? That means you work 70 hours a week, <laughs> right? So, um, so I was working at church a few hours, and I was working at a pump company about 55, 60 hours repairing computers. And I'll spare you the details of the story, but they were basically um, paying a lot less in salary than, than the work I was doing. And I figured out, and I was really irritated you know, and there were some other things going on. There was a manager with a really rough attitude. And, you know, the arrogance in me, if you condescend to me, you're going to get it right back. I will not be condescended to. That's not Christ-like at all, is it? Jesus had nothing to prove. People condescended to him and he just smiled, right? But this guy would, would talk down to me and I would, I would give it right back, you know. And at one point, um, I was so irritated at, at the boss right above me. And the Holy Spirit said, you think you're right. I said, man, I know I am. <laughs> and he said, who's going to give you a raise if you're going to get a raise here? Because I was asking the Lord, you know. I was like, oh. <laughs> and, and it's funny how he appealed to my, my needs to shine a light on my lousy attitude. And all of a sudden, I was no longer worried about getting, getting paid for the work that I was doing instead of getting paid for um, work that didn't even require an education. Now, all of my concern was, oh my God, I look and smell and sound nothing whatsoever like Jesus. God, I'm so sorry. And where did this amazing work of repentance happen? It happened in the server um, in the server room at a pump company, right? I'm busy programming. I'm doing my job. I'm programming and I'm fixing stuff and I'm crying and I'm talking to Jesus. Never again. 
God, never again. And the next two years after that, I had so many faith conversations at work. Why? We got the smudge out of the way and people could see the light. Right? People could see the light. Do you want to share? Here's another example. Um, Y'all, this is my amazing wife, Shandra. Hi. This happened actually just about a week ago. It was completely unexpected. I was having a completely innocent time at the Woolworths. And the Holy Spirit came and accosted me. Um, Mike was trying to be helpful. And he got the wrong uh, fabric softener. I was like, oh man, okay, give me the receipt, give me the slip, I'll go in and I'll, I'll fix this, I'll get the right, and well, they didn't have it, so I had to go up to the, to the till to get, my, get our money back because Mike got the wrong softener. So I was just innocently gonna get my money back, you know, because he made a mistake. And um, out, of my, out of my mouth, I said to the lady, never trust a man. And I told her, we need to change this out. Just never trust a man. And right there, the Holy Spirit just accosted me. And I, could, I was like, wow, out of the abundance of the heart, my mouth has spoken. And I, my eyes just went wide. And I said, I am so sorry to the till person. I said, I am so sorry. There are lots of men that are very trustworthy. They are very trustworthy. And the whole thing with the, the stuff going on in, in our country right now, I knew this, this was a dangerous thing that just came out of my mouth, but the Holy Spirit was just revealing to me a filter I had on my, a box I had over my own head. And I apologized to the till lady and I said, it's not, that's not what I said, it's not true. And then I got my money back and I went to Mike. He wasn't with me at the time. And I said, sit down. We didn't even leave the Woolworths. I said, sit down. And I just wept and I wept. And I said, I am so sorry for every time I've criticized you and I've looked down on you and I've judged you thinking that you are not as intelligent as I am. And I just wept and just repented before the Lord, but before him. Um, yeah, so that was an innocent Woolworths trip. <laughs> so, so watch out at Woolworths. Holy Ghost going to get you, right? I'm going to go to pick and pay from now on. You know what I'm saying? That's dangerous. Uh, for the record, she said she wanted to share that. So I, I, didn't, I didn't make her share that. <laughs> right. So, um, but what is the Holy Spirit asking um, for any of us? What's he asking me? Because when we repent, when we respond, then the lights come on, right? He said, Say to those who repent, this is my covenant with you. Arise, shine. So this is the renewal. Arise and shine. The Hebrew words for shine and light in verse 60. Um, excuse me, chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Shine and light. It's almost the exact same word. I think there's like a squiggle over one of the letters, and that's the whole difference or something. I was looking at it, and I'm like, y'all, I don't know Hebrew, you know. It's right to left, and it's, but the whole difference is like a, a little squiggle or something. Basically, one's a noun, and one's a verb, and that's the only difference. In English, it sounds so different, shine and light, but it's the exact same thing, and the point is, give the light that you've been given, right? Your light has come, and who is your light that's come? It's not your light at all, is it? It's his light. 
It's his light. It's not my light. It's not your light. It's his light. It's God's light. And it has come. And all I have to do is stand up and, and let it bounce off of me and bless the world. Isn't that great? My whole job is to be a mirror, right? My whole job is to, and not to show people, look, look how sinful you are. No, it's for the light to bounce off and, and shine and show the beauty and the glory of God. That's great. But he's saying arise to people who just repented. I don't know about you, it, repentance is a humble thing. Most of the time when I repent, I'm like, I'm like ugly crying, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, God, I can't believe it. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. And as someone who's realized that they've blown it and they've missed it and there's darkness because of my sin, God, I'm so sorry. God, forgive me. God, look at this rubble. God, I'm so sorry. And God says to you in that state, arise and shine because it's sunrise, baby. Your light has come. And I'm going to show the world just how beautiful I am and glorious I am through you. That's his response when we repent. How many of y'all want to, man, I just want to, I just, tell me something I did, God, because I want to repent now. <laughs> right? Um, Chandra's name, um, she was given a name by her parents were like fresh out of the hippie movement. So they're like, yo, this would be cool, man. And they're just like, they grabbed a book and they just looked through a name book, something that's cool and different. So they found this name, Chandra. And like hardly anybody had this name, you know, where they were in Colorado. Now, when you get further south, there's a lot of people who called themselves Chandra, but that's not, you know, that was different. So they gave her this name and she spent her whole childhood going, I have this name and no one else has this name. And, you know, when I go to the bookstore and, and buy a, and look for a bookmark with my, and my name's never on a bookmark. It's everybody else's name's on a bookmark, but not mine. And it was annoying for her, right? How many of you can't find your name on a, anyway, right? It was annoying for her, you know, until, until um, she was in Bible college um, she had gotten born again and bless her heart. She got born again and went straight to Bible college, man, that'll get you. So she's in Bible college and she looks up, what does her name mean? It's Indo-Pakistani or it's in it, it means moonlight. And she's like, what? Can you put the picture of the moon up? Thank you, boss. It means moonlight. And she's like, oh, my parents were so weird. <laughs> and then she thought, wait a minute, the moon reflects the light of the sun. And all of a sudden she fell in love with her name. And she's like, Jesus, that's all I want to do. I want to reflect your light for the rest of my life. Thank you for my name. I want to reflect your light. The moon reflects the light of the sun. Now think about it. It's really cool because the moon is kind of like us, right? Think about my act without Jesus, right? And until... Until the light of the sun falls on the moon, come on, is there anything beautiful about that? The, the moon is like the pimple-faced, awkward 15-year-old of the galaxy. There's nothing on it but pockmarks and craters, and, and it's all, there's nothing in it. There's no life. There's no water. There's, it's just this beat-up thing from meteors hitting it, you know, for several thousand or several billion years, depending on your view on such things. And it's just, you know, and it's just this ugly, goofy rock 
until the light of the sun hits it. And then people on earth write all kind of romantic songs about the moonlight. Oh, oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, why is it beautiful? Because it's reflecting the light of something greater than it and something outside of it. Yeah. And that's me, man. I would be without Jesus. I'm a mess. It's awkward, yo. It's awkward. Right? But I can let him who is greater than me and outside of me shine his light on me. And I can reflect that light. I don't know. Maybe I'll inspire a few love songs, right? I'm kidding. Right? But it's, it's beautiful. So arise, shine. Now, it says the glory of the Lord rises on you. Or um, if you grew up reading the King James Version, the glory of the Lord is arisen upon thee. What is this rising? And I'm like, you know, when I read that, when I was a kid, I used to think, yo, like it's going up, like, um, like the big apple thing in New York City. They, you know, it's going up, right? Um, but when I'm studying it now, I keep getting pictures of a sunrise. And of course, maybe I'm slower than y'all, and maybe y'all always looked at it that way. So I look in the Hebrew, and you know what it means? I mean, the sunrise, <laughs> the glory of the Lord rises upon you. One of the literal um, pictures from that word is to scatter rays. <laughs> the glory of the Lord is like, have some light. It's the scattering rays, right? The glory of the Lord rises upon you. And remember, who's he saying this to? People who just repented. So when you repented, it's morning. Every time you repent, it's morning. Sunrise, boom. Every time. Uh, when we first moved here, we lived in this house and our bedroom faced the east. It was cool. Um, you know the bulbuls. I love those birds, except for at four in the morning. Yo, the sun's not up. Come on. What's wrong with you? Go to bed. You know, four o'clock, 4.15 in the morning. You know, like, you know. And so I would hear those things and I would go back to sleep because it's dark. But then at five in the morning, um, and we had just that whole bedroom wall was windows. It was great. I loved it. Five in the morning, my, um, my curtains would start glowing, you know? And I mean, you know, and we didn't do blackout curtains. So back when I lived in this house, by 5.15 every morning, I was running my 5K, you know? Because the sun done told me it's morning, arise. And it was easy. Now we live in a different house and the windows face west. And the bulbuls start singing. I'm like, y'all shut up. And I go back to sleep. And then, ain't no 5Ks happening nowadays. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, I got to find a bedroom on the east again. <laughs> because when the sun rises, when, when the sun sprays its light on you in the morning, something in you, or maybe, maybe some of you are like, I don't have no problem, right? <laughs> but when the sun throws its light on me in the morning, I want to arise. I want to get up. I want to run a 5K if my knees will cooperate, <laughs> right? It's a sunrise. And regardless of where you are, in your journey, regardless of the degree you think the course correction would be, the moment you turn your face towards God, it's daytime. 
the moment you turn your face towards God. And it's and one of the, the theme for this, the term theme here is arise, shine. But I've, I had the privilege to sit in a meeting where they were talking about what God's saying. And how do we put a, put a little theme, a little focus around what God's saying? And one of the suggestions was God's glory on display, which is great. God's glory on display. You know how you say that in Bible language? Arise, shine. Right? So it's pretty cool. God's glory on display. And you can see that in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 21. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. God's glory on display. Both times he's talking about him working with his hands on his people. And he says that I might be glorified. And if you've got the New International Version, it says for the display of his splendor, which is a synonym for that he might be glorified, right? God's glory on display. So we look back in Isaiah chapter 60, the first couple of verses again. In verse 3, it says, nations will come to your light. Nations will come to your light. And then, you know what nations don't come to? They don't come to religious rituals. Can we just be real? You know, I don't care how amazing the newest song from Beth Bethel is, Right? I don't care how annoyed it is. It does not attract the nations. But when a people live like God would live and treat others like God would treat others, now that gets the world's attention. Nations will come to that light. God's glory on display. Right? And arise means this. Arise, that word arise, it means stand up, get up, be established, become powerful. <sighs> right? Become powerful. And the rest of that chapter, there are pictures of political and economic power. But now we know that's God, Isaiah, the Lord was speaking through Isaiah to, to Israel about something that would happen in their history and in pictures that made sense to them. But Jesus didn't come here and establish a political kingdom, did he? Right? He didn't come here and establish an economic kingdom, did he? He came here and brought the kingdom of God. It's a different kingdom. So what does become powerful look like for a New Testament, New Covenant believer? I don't know about you, but the Bible says, I'm seated in heavenly places above every principality, above every power. Right? Arise and become powerful. Realize who you are. There is no devil that can tell you what to do. There is no devil that can sit still when you say go. Arise. Be established. Become powerful. God wants to display his glory through you. And I said this earlier, when we hear, be ready for God's glory, we think of signs and wonders like the angels appearing to the shepherds. But this is, that's not God's plan for today. This is God's plan. You are the sign. You are the wonder. You are the ray of the light of his glory to attract the nations. You are. He's not going to raise up another mega preacher to go around. and He's not going to do that. He's going to raise up billions of sons of the living God and daughters who know who they are in Christ, who sound like Jesus and act like Jesus and smell like Jesus. It's going to be irresistible for the nations. 
I want to be one of those. Do you? Let's turn our face towards the Lord. If that means repenting of this or repenting of that or running back to our first love or just a little one degree course correction, let's turn our face towards the Lord and say, Lord, let me stand up and become powerful because it's your power. And let me shine because it's your light. And let me display your glory because it's your glory. And God is saying to, I believe to Hatfield, because um, my pastor said he's saying it to Hatfield. <laughs> but I also believe it because he says it to, to his people. God is saying, arise. And if you say, but you didn't see how I messed up last week. God says, if you repent, arise. But I've been really struggling at work. And God still says, arise. And you might say, but we've done so much injustice and damage to each other in this country. And God says, arise, shine, for your light has come. Your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises on you. And all of those things, this mistake, this sin, this thing I did wrong, or this thing in my past, or this thing in my family's past, or this thing. Here's the good news. He didn't say arise because you finally got something right. Aren't you glad? Because like I would never get to arise. You know what I'm saying? It would, right? He didn't say arise because you deserve it. Also it would never happen. Anyone? Anyone? qualify? Nope. All right. Never happened. He didn't say arise because you're better than anybody else. Nope. He didn't say, um, he said, arise, shine for your light is come. And where'd that light come from? The glory of the Lord rises upon you. So you don't have to rise because of your glory. You don't have to, you don't have to try and rise up because of your performance. You get to rise up because of his glory. You get to rise up because of his performance. Y'all, isn't that good news? Isn't that great? Arise and shine because of his glory, because of his faithfulness. Give off the light that he is shining on you. Amen. Thank you, Mark, for, for that word. Tomorrow is Monday, is a new day, and is an opportunity to physically apply what we've learned here tonight. Take it in, go home tonight on a wonderful night for repentance and ugly crying, as Mark calls it, and wake up tomorrow morning know that, knowing that God's lights, or rays of light are out there for you and ready for you in a new journey.